So Mark, I think I will uh, interview with the wireless and, and then you guys can speak with uh, this one, yeah? All right, so um, if you're just joining us, my alarm's going off. There we go, all right. Um, helps me stay on time. Uh, if you're just joining us, we've been going through a series entitled Sacred Practices, and our, our goal has been to become more lovingly present to God, to ourselves, to one another, that to do so, um, it makes us uh, people that love, love better. It's hard to love well if you're not a So it's like salmon swimming upstream in our culture because we're so distracted. I think two, two key factors we've identified. Distraction is huge as well as uh, hurry. It's hard to love well when you're hurried. And so what are practices that can make us less distracted because being less distracted is having the discernment to know what to be present to at any given time. Because we're always being faced with that, aren't we? It's like you see that even in the life of Jesus where he, he could have been present to the, the widow with the issue of blood or Jairus' daughter. And, and we often feel torn like that. And of course... Uh, we've been looking at the book of Exodus over the la early part of the year of how God brought them out of, the, out of the land of Egypt into a new pace of being unhurried, and which included stopping. How many know stopping is very unhurried? <laughs> so that's a good way to start learning how to be unhurried is just stop. <laughs> mm. So we've, we've looked at a couple of practices over the last few weeks. We've looked at... Um, the importance of uh, silence and waiting, waiting in silence. And secondly, we've been... Do you want me to go to this one? Nope. I was, okay. I was okay. And uh, then we looked at the examine, the importance of our lives, uh, examining our lives, reflecting daily, taking time, in, in, to use the words of Ignatius of Loyola, to look for consolation and desolation in our life, to pay attention to those as a means of discernment for our lives. We looked at Lectio Divina last week, I think it was, about the practice of paying attention to the, to the story of Scripture, using our imagination, uh, what we called acoustic reading, and we slow down and we, we pay attention to the text. Another aspect that's of, of, of paying attention is, is creating space for our stories. So uh, I thought this being Father's Day, it'd be, good, it'd be a good day to, for us to hear from some of our guys in the church. Just a little bit about, uh, from their story. And uh, I've just asked them to, to come and share for a few minutes, and some of this may be in a bit of an interview format, which is fine. But a couple things just to set the table for this. We are all on a common journey home to God. 
But each of us has a unique story. Each story is unique. So there's a uniqueness and a commonality to our journey. That's a paradoxical thing. And so there's a, the, the commonality of our, our story means that we're profoundly interconnected. And this common journey connects us. So I want to invite you to listen with wonder, listen with gratefulness for each story, each person, listen with compassion, listen without any need to fix, advise, or even pray for the person at this point. Just hold their story in your heart and be gently aware while you're listening to the story of your own, what we call inner to use the Ignatian term, those inner movements that happen in you without getting hooked by them. What I mean by that is it's, it's easy to get hooked into what you're feeling. And it's like when you're talking to somebody and they start saying something to you and it triggers something. You start thinking about that and you're more thinking about what you're going to say to them than actually being present to them. So it's just, but don't ignore those inner movements either. Don't ignore if it's joy, if it's fear, if it's sadness, something's triggered, anger, compassion, restlessness even. Like learn to pay attention to those things. There's what's going on with that. And, and, and hold this story. So what we're going to do is at the end of each person's story, we're going to actually create some space just to hold their story in silence for, for a few moments. Just to reverence that. And... Um, And to pay attention to where there were indications or fingerprints of, of God at work in this story. So I didn't even plan this, but um, I have, I've asked Matt and Mark to share. And I realized that we have Matthew and Mark, the first, the, the Gospels, right there. And actually, our, uh, our text today was from Mark as well. So I thought, you know, to stay chronological, I don't even know if it's chronological, but, you know, it's the way they decided the Gospels to go, is we'll go with Matthew first. So Matt, come on up. Let's welcome Matt. <laughs> you can use that for a cup holder if you want, or sit on it, whatever makes you most comfortable. Do you want to use the lectern? Uh, no, it's all right. I can probably keep these up myself. Oh, okay. All right. It's been a bit of a hectic 48 hours. This is the third set of notes I created. Uh, I was sitting in our broken, car, broken down car last night and did it the first time on my phone. And then when I went to print them out this morning, it said sinking error did not upload. So that was lost. So then uh, I did it again on the computer and it's printed out at home sitting on the computer so I can review it when I get home. <laughs> and this is from a little realty ad. But anyway, uh, the three things you asked me to, to think about were kind of markers in my life from God and uh, then anything about fatherhood and then sacred practices. And when I was thinking about markers in my life, um, I think it's, my life has been, I feel like, am I talking loud enough? Okay. Um, okay. Uh, it's been like God's been kind of taking me on this journey uh, to freedom 
And it play, it's played out a few different ways, but just three kind of steps in that process were right from when I was a little kid. Like my earliest memory is kneeling on these red carpeted steps in our church and praying, you know, asking Jesus into my heart, knowing that I needed Jesus, but primarily being afraid of going to hell. And, you know, <laughs> so I was a nervous little guy, I guess. Um, and so, but that, that, like, that was, I was just, like, just kind of a first memorable contact point with God, just realizing how much I needed Jesus. And then kind of just being afraid, though, of kind of getting off of the straight and narrow and being afraid of, you know, the world and getting infected or, you know, just this, this idea that perhaps it was just me and I was small. And then after, uh, after high school in, in uh, YWAM, uh, did a discipleship training school. And one of, the, one of the things that really kind of popped for me then was about the father heart of God and that there's nothing that I can do to get God to love me more. So there was like a real, I mean, there is a lot of stuff in the mean, meanwhile, and I'd love to talk, talk about myself for hours. But, uh, but just this, this, this freedom that comes from, oh, I'm not earning God's love. Uh, and then very recently it's been almost like a transition from God loving me to God in me and just this understanding somewhat that, uh, you know, that God's in me and this isn't, I'm not receiving love from some external entity, but God is living in me. And so that, that freedom has been first kind of like understanding that there's nothing that I can do to make God love me more is this freedom from being afraid of not following the rules or freedom of not doing enough. And then going from knowing that God loves me to understanding that God's in me is, this, is combating this fear giving freedom from this fear of, am I enough? Or like, am, you know, it's, it's more internal. Am I lovable? Am I enough? And it's like, no, like God's in me. Right. And so, so that's just kind of been, yeah, kind of the high level path that I'm on, I think. Fatherhood, so many things. Um, it was kind of funny because my dad wasn't super available. He was either always at work or then he kind of uh, left work. And in our church, it was called going into the ministry. And so then he became even more unavailable. So I kind of got a little, I felt a little left alone as a kid. Got to spend a lot of time on my own, kind of fostered an interest in technical things and electronics. Um, but in that, in that absence of my dad, I can reflect back, I can like count off like 15 different men in my life that God has just put in so, in so many places, like right from when I was a, a little kid, 
to, you know, I had a paper route when I was like seven or eight years old. My mom was really big on responsibility and earning your way. And, uh, but my, my paper route, there was, there was a, a backyard auto mechanic. There was a guy who fixed grandfather clocks. There was a retired uh, radar operator from the military. There was like another retired guy who just tinkered and made things in his basement. Um, there was an electric motor shop and my grandfather's butcher shop. And so my mom could never understand why it took me two to three hours to deliver 20, 20 papers in a two block radius. But I just had an opportunity to like spend hours talking to all these men. And then it was a similar thing just in, in my church growing up. So I feel like where, where I missed out, God supplied in spades. And it's this, yeah, it's the same all the way through. So that was kind of, that's one thing on fatherhood. And um, another thing is <laughs> expectations and flexibility. I feel like right from the outset, you know, what's, there, there's some saying about, uh, you know, uh, no plan of battle survives first contact with the enemy or something like that. And so I had expectations, you know, Sandra was pregnant in the spring and I was thinking, oh, the fall, the leaves, I'll be off work, you know, it'll be the three of us, we'll be baby in arms, skipping through the park, kicking dry leaves to the side, it'll be just wonderful. And, uh, you know, Judah was born and a couple, you know, not too much, you know, a couple hours later the ambulance arrived and took Sandra and then it was just Judah and I and uh, we're like, well, hey buddy, you know, it's just expectations were out the window right away and it's just kind of been like that and that kind of keys, keys in a little bit too to, um, you know, there is the things that I felt like I missed out from my dad. It was kind of funny. It was a contrast to my uncle who was kind of super practical and mechanical and handy and my dad was nothing like that and so in my mind I was gonna you know my kids were gonna get all kinds of things that I didn't and they, you, you, you just that's another expectation thing you know I, I think uh, I'm starting to realize you know it's so much less about my agenda and me just trying to understand who, who these little people are and how to bless that and not get angry at that. <laughs> well, not, not get angry at who they are, but, you know, just the way that expresses itself <laughs> at any particular time. And it's kind of funny because a lot of the examples I thought of from fatherhood, it's, oh, it's like, you know, what, you know, learning to be flexible and, you know, sacrificing and discovering the goodness of God. And it all kind of, kind of comes with this heavy kind of taint to it. And I was thinking, but... It's kind of like in marriage. There's, you know, it's good and it's hard, but the joy and the presence of God doesn't come in there. I think I experience the joy in being a father. I experience being a father as, and a husband as just the wonder of being together over a long haul, over over the time, over like walking together through circumstances, and that kind of gets me to the last thing you asked me to comment on sacred practices kind of what what's meaningful or helpful to me or helps me experience myself and God and others 
And I think for me, it's really, it's serving. I used to have this, I still do, have this thing in my mind that, you know, if I ever hear of somebody moving, I just feel like it's incumbent on me. I'm going to go help them. I like to help. I love to, love to help practically. Yeah. <laughs> Did I mention my knee rose? It's really been acting up. <laughs> but no, no, I know, and I just, I really love serving. And I think that kind of works with the family because, you know, families need a lot of service and it's a way for us to, to be together. And uh, that's, you know, some of the most wonderful times I've had is just working together on something with one or a few others. And so, you know, it's not necessarily the intensity of, of having some kind of a one-on-one -on -one conversation, but you're doing something, you're alongside, and you can just have some back and forth through the day. And so I, uh, I'm very thankful, I think, for some Mennonite heritage on that one. Just kind of, you know, barn building and work bees and everybody doing everything together. And so that's, uh, if you ever need some help on something, give me, give me a ring. Thanks, Luke. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, and, and Matt so lives that out, just the way he serves our kids here, of course, as we know so amazingly, so passionately. So why don't we just take what we've heard, just so wonderful, so rich, and let's just hold it for a moment and in gratitude. Thank you, Matt. Thanks. <laughs> so your, your, your heritage was Mennonite. Where did you grow up? Uh, Southern Ontario. Southern Ontario. Hmm? Southern Alberta. Awesome. Beautiful. Rich, rich, rich heritage. Come on up, Mark. <laughs> Are you okay to, do you want me to interview you or do you want to? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, uh, I certainly didn't prepare as well as you did, uh, or as many times. <laughs> but uh, but I, can, uh, I can, yeah. Good. So, uh, so welcome, Mark. Mark's, uh, like Matt, very integrally involved in our church and just so serves his heart out. And... Uh, so why don't you just tell us a little bit about kind of where you grew up and, okay. and uh, sure. yeah, what, shaped, what shaped you a little bit. Okay, so uh, some of you, okay, so I, I grew up in, uh, oh, what are you trying to tell me? 
Oh, moved to Cleveland. I should know that. Jeez. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, so I, I, I grew up in, in, uh, in British Columbia. I was born in Hope. My parents moved around a lot, but pretty much I'm a, I'm a, I'm a BC boy. I didn't actually leave the, the uh, province until I was 20, uh, but I've lived all over the place within it. And um, my, uh, my parents got divorced when I was seven, and uh, I'm the, the middle of, of two kids. I have a younger sister and an older brother. Um, and pretty soon after that, both my parents got uh, you know new partners, and my dad's had a few since then, but um, he's, he's happily settled down now, and, uh, and he's, he's doing really well. But um, yeah, so for me, uh, my, the, the fathers in my life, I, I had more than one of them, um, and it was interesting. It was, like a, it was like when you go to the bar and you buy a flight of, uh, of beer, and you get a whole sample of different sort of ranges and uh, different ideas. I have no idea what you're well, Oh, come on. Yeah, sure you do. So, uh, yeah, so I guess what I'm saying is that, you know, I had the opportunity to compare and contrast different sort of styles of parenting, uh, neither of which I completely agreed with, as any kid would, right? But, um, but it's really shaped the way that I, I parent my kids because it's really, really, really hard to get it right. I mean, parenting is so much harder than we as kids think it is. I mean, because... I think that the that the philosophy I hold is that as a parent, you are the steward of your kid's adulthood. And what I mean by that is that it is not up to me to choose what my kid wants to do with their life. It's up to me to prevent myself and the barriers around them from screwing up all their opportunities that, that they want to have in their life. Uh, I, I, that's kind of a more colloquial way of putting it that I would have had it in my head, but the idea is that um, when my girls grow up and they think back to themselves about the way that I parented them, I want them to to think, wow, it's like he knew what I wanted to do. And that's not going to happen, but that's the challenge, you know? So... Um, so that, that that's kind of the way that I lean when I when I parent. And I mean... Sometimes it makes it a little bit difficult because, on the one hand, my stepdad's very authoritarian, or he was. Uh, he's changed quite a lot in his older years. But uh, and and my uh, and so for him, it was his way or the highway. There was there was really no in between. And, and honestly, you couldn't get on the highway because he had the the key to the gate. So uh, it was just his way. But uh, you know, every second weekend, it was my it was my dad, and his way was completely different. It was it was much more egalitarian but and much more subtle and you know in some ways there's there's benefits to both I learned how to work hard with my stepdad in a way that I never would have with my with my father uh, but I also learned how to think outside my my own circumstances and realize that I'm not the only person in the world and I'm not the only person in my circumstance and in fact my circumstance is actually kind of rare and I learned that from my dad he, he, he was a reporter or well, he's, he's retired now. I'm kind of rambling, but... Um, so... When I, when I think about how my, my parents have, have shaped my, my parenting, it's, 
it's in weird, subtle ways. You know, you, you pick some things from one side and some things from other side, and some of them you're just like, I'm not ever doing that. But I find myself doing all the things that I swore I'd never do. I mean, as everybody does, right? I mean, in my heart, I've realized I'm totally an authoritarian. I would love it if my kids would just shut up and do what I told them. But <laughs> it does not work. And God has blessed me with, um, with a, a girl who we believe has Asperger's syndrome. And that means that authority simply cannot work with her. Uh, if, if the, the more you escalate, the more she opposes. And to reach the barrier that she would break and fall under my authority, I would have to escalate to such an extent that I would be a horrible person to do it. And uh, I think that you guys have seen on some of the days when, when I've had a rough day, here that I've, I'll be good and I'll be good and I'll be good and I'll blow right up. And, and I kind of had a, an epiphany a while back when I was in the middle of this and I, and I saw a certain person in the, in the audience looking at me with a, a look on his face that was just, oh man, it cut me to the core. And I realized that I was doing it all wrong. And um, it's funny, I didn't realize I was doing it all wrong when I actually had my kid over my shoulder and I was running around the parking lot with her. It, it took somebody looking at me, but there you go. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I, I guess my point is that, is that there's, there's a lot of challenges in that. But to bring it back to the conversation, throughout all of that, I felt, I felt this connection to God that has been sort of like a, uh, a welling from, from inside. It's kind of the opposite, in, in a way, to you, Matt that I, I've never felt God as an external presence. I've only ever felt him really subtly from inside. And it's not that I hear him. I, I, I almost never have. But um, but there's like this broad hand that's sort of, that I can feel. And, and when I look back on my life, it's, it's right there. It's really hard to feel in the moment, of course. But um, anyway, uh, awesome. I don't know what else I was going to say. That's all right. It's great. It, are there any, uh, just in your journey to, to knowing God or connecting with God or on your journey to God, uh, just any kind of markers other than what you already mentioned that you think were significant for you, just in your story? Yeah, there were two. Um, no, maybe three. But the first one would be the really the only time I've ever heard God's voice, which Ironically, it has nothing to do with parenting or anything of any consequence, really. Uh, the, the fact is that I, when I was 17, or well, when I was in high school, I fell in love with a girl, and I was madly, hopelessly in love with her, or at least I thought so, because she, I don't think she really knew I existed. And uh, I, was, I was a super timid guy, and I, I didn't know how to like you know, confess my love to her, because it was too big of a thing, right? And... I, I let it go and I let it go and I let it go all the way up until uh, uh, until grade seven where we were going to graduate. You know, leave it to me, right? And uh, and I was just I was so wrought with pain over this thing that I cried out to God. And I said, you know, tell me what to say to her. I have to say something, even if you know she obviously doesn't really love me because otherwise something probably would have happened by now or something like that, right? And uh, and I just heard this voice that was like. It was weird because I never heard that voice before. I never heard it after, but I totally recognized it. 
And, uh, and it was like, I had said basically to God, I was like, you know what, whatever happens, just be gentle. And then he said the same words back to me, just be gentle. And, uh, and it had all this weird emotional connotation that's difficult to express, but it wasn't the words, it was the way he said it. Anyway, I, it ended up being fine. I, I, I basically told her that I loved her and, and she said, she sort of skipped a beat and she said, that's the nicest thing anybody's ever said to me. And I knew right then, okay, she totally doesn't feel the same way, but that's okay. <laughs> and, and it was so freeing. Oh my gosh, it was so freeing. Uh, so I guess the only reason I'm bringing that up is because that was, that was like, oh, wow, he's, he's there. He, he hears me, you know? And it was weird to get into a place where he actually spoke back to me. And the second, um, the second point, I guess, would be when, uh, when I when I saw my little girl for the first time, uh, and that wasn't anything uh, that was that like specific. It was just this overwhelming. I yeah. I guess the words that I had going in my mind was, I can't believe they're going to let me leave this room with her. It's. <laughs> It's so much harder to go across the border than it is to have a kid. And that's weird. But anyway. Uh, and uh, I guess uh, following into your third question that you had, which is what, what practices I have. Um, I have this thing sort of brought on by, by my parents' divorce that I didn't acknowledge for a long time, which is that I compartmentalize really heavily, which means that when I'm at church... I can remember everything about church, and I can't remember anything that's not at church. When I'm at home, I can remember everything that's at home, and I can't remember anything that it's work or, or anything that has to do with church. And when I get to, to work, the same thing. And um, it's useful in emotional circumstances because it means that in, a, in, a, in an emergency or in, an, in, a, in a specific moment, I, I'm per- fully present, but I have zero planning skills whatsoever. And uh, I've been trying really hard to break down that those barriers because they're not useful outside of a crisis. And for me, the, the most helpful thing has just been to sit there in a moment where I'm enjoying it, where, where there's something that's, that's important, and to think about everything that's brought me there and to think about the things that are outside of that context and try to bring them in and think about them in that context. And with that sort of prayerful meditation... It, it started to break down some of those barriers. And I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to have the kind of memory I'd like to be able to have, to be able to, you know, when I'm at work, remember to buy milk. It's that hard. Like, I simply, milk does not exist as a substance when I'm at work. The only thing that exists is coffee and computers, you know? And, uh, but it's, I, I think it's helping. I mean, it's... Uh, yeah, it's it's weird, but there you go. Awesome. Uh, in in one more minute, mm-hmm. can you just uh, tell us anything that you find is meaningful about your work that you do? That sure. Uh, okay, so I'm a I'm a programmer. I uh, I write uh, programs for a computer that make or for a company that makes dive computers. So when you go scuba diving, you have to keep track of some stuff so you don't die. And then when you get back to the surface, if you do, then uh, you take that dive computer and you uh, go to the computer and you log it and so you can see your dive profile. I'm the guy who makes the dive profile happen. Uh, But 
That's just the technical stuff. That it doesn't really matter. Uh, what's interesting is the is the creation. There's a there's a powerful um, feeling of it's you know it's the same feeling that you get when you make Lego or when you draw or when you create a poem or when you write a song. Not that I do either of those last two things, but when you have this this creation, it's it's just such a powerful drug, and that's what I love about my work. But the other thing is that there's this community that you form with people when you're when you're working with them, and now there's uh, there's a whole group of really interesting people at in my work. Some are atheists, some are Christians, some are all sorts of different things, right? And being able to being able to share your life with them and to uh, go through these struggles as as anybody does at work and bond over them is is a is a really powerful and uh, an important thing. Why don't you stay? Wow, so so beautiful. So why don't we just take what Mark has shared and just hold that? Just to create some space. Thank you, friend. Good job. Happy Father's Day. Thank you. You too. <laughs> so precious. Thank you, Matthew, Matt, and Mark. <laughs> Getting gospelized there. Thank you, guys. So precious. Wow. Um, I I I was gonna maybe have a third story, but I just feel we only have the space in our hearts. Uh, to, to really meaningfully hold these two for now. So we'll, we'll give some more time. I want Don, who went through a bit of an ordeal this week, ended up in emergency, and uh, we're not sure what happened yet, but you're here and you're well. Yeah, so God alerted us. The Lord was watching out for you. So, but I want him to share soon just his amazing journey out of cocaine addiction, just... I can't listen to that story without just weeping. But I think we'll just go into we'll just uh, go into some ministry uh, and in engagement now with what we've heard. I'm reading a book called The Sacred Enneagram. It's just been produced by Christopher Hertz. Uh, features a lot of Henry Nouwen and uh, some of these great uh, Jean Vanier uh, I, understandings of of who we are as persons. And I wasn't sure if I was going to enjoy the book because I've heard about the Enneagram for a long time and never really gotten into it and just felt, just felt prompted to, to start reading. And you know a book's maybe God's choice for you when in the first paragraph you're just hooked. <laughs> so I want to read it to you. This is about a, a, an Irish Jesuit priest named Father Larry Gillick who the author was meeting for spiritual direction. 
And uh, he was a good guy, but sometimes I'd leave his, his office at Creighton University and he'd affectionately say to me, sometimes you just need a good butt kicking. So he told me, he once told me of the story of a visit he made to a local Catholic elementary school. After sharing with a group of the students, a young girl, probably third or fourth grade, approached him and struck up a conversation. A few minutes into their discussion, a look of pure astonishment flashed into the student's eyes. Suddenly she blurted out, you're blind, which is true. Due to a sickness, he lost his sight when he was just a small child. With genuine tenderness, Father Gillick responded, that's not news to me. But before he could say anything else, the little girl quickly moved from shock to sadness, replying, you don't know what you look like. That profound statement from such a young person caught Father Gillick off guard. And before he could comment, she softly said, you're beautiful. So my prayer is as we share our stories and as we hear these stories today, that we would hear the Father whisper to us who are often so blinded to who we are. We would hear his voice say, you're beautiful. It happened to me. I'm known that in the Montessori school as the guitar man. And today, uh, was it Tuesday, uh, Dee wanted them to practice up here. They're getting ready for their graduation on Friday. It's coming this Friday. We're going to have a graduation for the, for the Montessori preschoolers that are moving on. And so I've been practicing songs with them every week and getting ready for their parents for this graduation concert and I almost had I read this story just after this incident and it felt like almost a parallel incident where the father did that for me this week but D had to you know how they they get uh, preschoolers when they're crossing roads they all tie them together with a rope you know these special ropes and they all grab onto it so they all came around she didn't want to take them through the building with their shoes they'd been playing in the garden so she took them around this way on the sidewalk, and it was so cute. They're all walking together with their teachers. And there's this, this little girl, but she's actually the tallest girl in the class, very striking, um, uh, maybe the oldest, maybe the tallest, but her name is Thea. And, and I was waiting for them on the corner, and she reached out her hand to me and asked me to take her hand. And so I just joined the parade, you know, around the corner and up the stairs. And as that little girl held my hand, it was just like the father saying to me, you're beautiful, you're beautiful. So I'd like you to just hold that story. Um, the little girl saying to the priest, you don't know what you look like. You're beautiful. And I'd like you to let... I'd like you to hear your father saying that to you this morning. I just so feel some of you need to hear that.
just let the Father just hold you and speak your name. Just love that story that Mark shared. Just how God just told him to be gentle with that girl. It was so profound. There's a, I feel there's somebody here that needs the Lord, Lord's word that came to the disciples when they were in the storm on the, on the, on the lake. And they thought he was a ghost. Remember that? There's somebody battling incredible fear t- this morning. And Jesus is coming to you walking on the waters of your storm. And his words to you are what he said to them. Be of good cheer. It's me. Don't be afraid. Be of good cheer. It's me. Don't be afraid. And the other gospel story that I'm feeling, again, these are Matthew and Mark stories, is he touched a man, they brought a man that was deaf and he could hardly talk. And he took the man aside. He took him away from the crowd. He took him away from being a special case, singled out for attention. And he, he did some weird stuff. He spit on his fingers and put his fingers on the man's tongue. And then he whispered, Avada, Avada, be opened. And I felt a spirit of isolation that hits us with deafness and dumbness. So we can't talk and we can't hear. There's, there's some folks being afflicted by just an... And there's, there's, this whole city is afflicted by that. The incapacity to hear. The incapacity to speak. And uh, just want to feel the Lord wants to break off some isolation this morning. Did you have a word, Rose? Um, When we traveled Italy, we traveled uh, with our daughters who were 20 and 27. And there were moments of they sought out their daddy. And it triggered these unbelievable life conversations that in a normal circumstance, they don't come easily. And Dean was just present in those moments. And there was these life-altering moments for our girls and Dean. And I just took a step back. And I felt like God was saying for Matt and Mark that there were men who were just present in your life. There was a gift of presence. They were there in your life. And I I felt like God says um, that he just wants to encourage and strengthen and bless the men here with that gift of presence to be in other men and women's lives. You don't have to be a biological father to bless fatherhood 
And that's what these men talked about. And so I just want to bless you in the name of Jesus Christ, men, with this gift of presence, Lord. I pray you pour out on these men that they would be able to set aside all the little gears that are going around in their mind and everything that says, yes, I just hear... Um, people saying, but I can't do that. I'm inadequate. I don't know how to talk to people. I, I don't know that person. But I pray in Jesus' name that all of that would fall away and they could be present in a colleague's life, in a neighbor's life, in a child, one of their children's friends' lives, in whoever it is, Lord. I pray that they could, even an older man, that they could be present and that you would pour out in that moment, in that relationship, and a blessing would come into that relationship. And these men of the city would be filled with you through the men in our church. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, Amen to that. Let's stand together. So I just want to bless you with uh, hearing, the capacity to hear. I bless you with the capacity to hear and to be present. I bless you with the capacity to hear the Father say, you're beautiful. Or as Paul said in Ephesians, to see yourself as God sees you. That your eyes be open to see what God sees. I bless you to feel his delight and his joy over you. Infinitely precious worth. to walk in that, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. If you want further prayer into what you've heard, turn to somebody or feel free to come forward. Have a great day.